0: Scripture for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts that hurt if the parts hurt, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing if our parts flourish, every part enters into the, in, the, in the exuberance you are Christ's body that's who you are. you must never forget this amen For those visiting, we began a sermon series last week with the title uh, that's on the banner behind me. Home Depot, uh, Discipleship Central. In the very first lesson, we discovered that for the early church, the home was the depot of discipleship. The local address of the church for nearly 200 years was not a holy building, but it was a holy home. As a matter of fact, Jesus makes it clear in John chapter 4 that the holy spot worship, let's see if I get this here, there we go, is on the way out as he's having a conversation with the woman at the well you remember her and in that conversation he shows her holy spot worship is on the way out but Holy Spirit worship is on the way in a worship that he goes on to say is spirited in truth because the God that we serve that's who he is he is spirit and in truth and what he's doing away with is this temple that has concrete and mortar, and it's a place that you go. What he is about to do is make himself at home in you. And he's trying to share that with this woman here, and he's still trying to share that with us a couple of thousand years later. Now, as we're going to see, this did not put an end to Jesus' followers getting together in buildings like this to come together and worship. But what he did help them see in that very beginning time as he as he even begins to try to unfold what this kingdom is going to look like, is that synagogue worship, temple worship, holy spot worship really is about to fade. He says something a little bit later through the Spirit when he says, the churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla salute you, much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. We saw last week also that he writes to Philemon, our beloved friend and brother, fellow laborer, and to the church that's in his house. Greet the brothers and sisters in Laodicea. Greet Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Now, those things began to be written by Dr. Luke and were written by Paul a little bit later because that's where the church was meeting. Again, not in a holy spot, not in a holy building, but in a holy home. Now, this is a point that I made last week None of these references, none of the things that were said last week was in hopes of us ditching this building. No way. No way. This is a great venue for us to be able to come together and do just what we've done. Sing and celebrate the Lord's Supper and and hopefully hear a word from God. But also what we've seen is it's a great tool for our community. BSF meets here on Monday nights. Bible Study Fellowship. We've had the HEB executives and some of their team come and meet here. We've had Divinity Ministries meet here. We've had 4-H groups meet here. We've had so many people use this place as a a great tool to love on people and to help grow some great leaders for our community. No way in the world that we want to ditch using a facility like this. However, regardless of how great the ministries we pull off here, There's always going to be a little bit of a disconnect and sometimes a lot of disconnect between what we practice in Christ here and what we practice at home. We've just seen it develop over all of our years of having buildings like this. There just seems to be a disconnect. We have to work to bridge between what we practice in Christ here and what we practice at home. And one of the ways that this eldership wants to help bridge that and help us transition to that a little easier is in what we call community groups. Small groups of Christians that meet together twice a month to walk through life together. Now this is nothing new. It's something that we've been doing but we want to underscore its importance in the life of this church and in our ability to not gather at a holy spot but to have a holy home. Now, Community groups certainly aren't new to me. Been involved with those all of my ministry life. And I wrote to my girls because that's all that they've ever known was community groups as a part of a church. And I asked both of them, what, what stood out in you being involved in a community group? And here's what my youngest said. I'll conclude with what my oldest said, but let me start with what my youngest Tabitha wrote. None of this has been touched up. Community group was Family is family. I don't remember a time in my childhood when we didn't have them. What I took for granted in my younger years I now cherish as the moments that shaped my faith, my self-worth, and my family. These were the fathers that screened my senior prom date. These were the mothers that taught me how to cross-stitch and to knit and to cook and to pray. Each and every person in our community group left a permanent mark on my life. Nita Bedingfield taught me that you didn't have to be a man to have a biblical opinion or a strong faith. Patricia Chesser taught me how to be a strong wife in hard times. Paul and Twila Wetzel taught me to always look on the God side of things, which might not always be the bright side of things. Carlene taught me how to host and love people with your home. Frank O'Dell taught me how to make people feel important by noticing small things about them. He always brought me a strawberry soda on Sunday night, and it made me feel so cherished. My parents taught me that it's vital to find a group of like-minded people to share your life and your faith with so that you can bear your soul when things get tough and so that you can celebrate when things are great. It was in a small circle that I came to know what the Holy Spirit being present really meant and felt like. Oh, these people helped raise me and will always be considered my family. And so, on the day that my husband and I shared our vows to become husband and wife, it was this group, my community group, that I took my family picture with. Because my community group is my family. And it's helped me grow up in God in every way. You think that made my thankful list this week? <laughs> wow! What incredible words to hear from, from your, your youngest daughter that you, you've hoped and prayed over and loved and fussed with and watched soccer games and just lived life with and wondering, is it going to take God? What well, can I tell you, community groups in a huge way helped that to take There's something that we teach in our starting point classes to every potential new member. And it's this, smaller environments are essential to a deeper faith. Now some of you have never gone through a starting point class and you never will, so I want you to say that with me, all right? Smaller environments are essential to a deeper faith. One more time. Smaller environments are essential to a deeper faith. We believe that. So much so that before someone places membership with us, we say, this isn't just something that we're going to suggest that you get involved with. We're going to insist you get involved with. Because our job as leaders is to move you from here to there in your discipleship, to help you grow and mature. And there's no way in the world, unless you get in smaller environments, other than an assembly like this, your faith will not go deeper. We believe that. Believe it strongly, so much so that we say that we're going to expect this as one of the seven values that you not only accept, but you live with and and try to pursue as a part of our church. Now, I know some of you have been connected to churches that had little impact on your life at all. And I'm sorry for that. But this leadership refuses to be one of those churches. Refuses. And if you're kicking some tires on all things that are church, I want to say something personally, all right? in all honesty you are looking at when it comes to life to the full and handing it on to your your kids and church having something to do with that you are looking at a thoroughly satisfied customer I cannot begin to imagine my life or my kids life without the involvement of the church in that life I can't And a huge, let me say this, a huge part of that is assemblies like this, yes, but even more so in smaller environments like community groups. If you're new to KCC and this feels a little bit big and an assembly like this feels a little bit disconnected, we work hard and we're going to continue working hard to make this as engaging, and as connecting as possible. But you know what? <laughs> That's not our goal. This is just the, the on-ramp. This is just the front porch, all right? We want to get you into the house. We want to get you into those smaller environments where you can get to know us and we can get to know you. And so we're going to do that in a lot of ways in this fellowship. I want you to know that right up front because this is not our goal to get you to come to what we call a church, We'll talk about that a little bit more. We're the church. This isn't the church. It's just a ministry facility, that's all. It's just a building. And our goal is not just to get you here. It's to get you here so that we can get to know you and get you in one of those smaller environments and really begin to live life with you. We believe circles trump rose every single time. There is a life that's possible, shoulder to shoulder. But the best life, we believe, is possible face to face. And so your leadership is going to do all that it can to keep pushing you out of here. Welcome you to come. Please get here. But we're going to push you back out to get into some of those smaller environments because it's there that your faith is going to grow deeper. And I've lived that out. I've lived it. I've seen it. And I want you to taste it, every single one of you, and more of it than I've even tasted. It's been amazing to watch a circle of people pour into my girl's lives, (laughs) and then to watch them be be a part of a a circle of people where they pour their lives into others. The Bible calls that discipleship. And it's amazing. It's living like I, I can't imagine any other life. And circles have a huge part of that because there's only so much life that can happen shoulder to shoulder. And that's why we're going to continue to ask you to move into environments that are face to face. Now, a practical thing that helps in those circles, a part of that deeper faith, is something that I want to call drift prevention. Drift prevention. And that's what I want to talk really about this morning. The things that I've led to here are to help us understand where drift prevention can happen. It can't happen in here. It just can't. Because drift prevention can't happen in rows, it can only happen in circles. Now, you know, what are you talking about this drift? Pred- you know drift. <laughs> Every one of us drifts from everything and anything that's good. We do. We rarely drift in a good direction in terms of our health. We rarely drift in a good direction in terms of our marriage, our finances. We rarely drift in a direction that's good for any segment of our lives. If it's beneficial to us, we tend to drift from it. Now, just to see if you're with me and you agree with that, if it's beneficial to us, we tend to drift from it. If you agree with that, would you say, mm-hmm, okay"? Now, I'll tell you why we're saying that in just a few moments. If it's beneficial to us, we all tend to drift from it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a part of life. If you want to be in a healthy relationship, I don't care whether it's dating or friendship or marriage, you're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to be purposeful. You're going to have to be deliberate if you want to enjoy one. If you want to see one destroyed... Don't and you will drift away from it and you'll never know what a true one is like. We just got through finishing up Financial Peace University a couple of months back. Um, I think in that nine-week stretch of time, about 12 of our couples paid off right at $40,000 in debt. That didn't happen by accident. They didn't just drift into some of that financial freedom. No. It was intentional. It was purposeful. It was deliberate. And it certainly wasn't easy. And so I'm going to say if you want financial freedom, if you want a marriage that's intimate, if you want a job that has some security if you want fill in the blank with something that is treasured and good in this life you're going to have to take aim at it and be intentional and purposeful because if you don't you will drift away from those things question you get my drift (laughs) Mm mm-hmm it's just what happens I know you know this because the gravitational pull of life is generally in the wrong direction That's why we've got to be used to swimming upstream. That's why we have to get used to to walking uphill in a downhill world. And what I want to point us to this morning is there's no way in the world you can do that alone. There's just not. There's just not. Now, some of you think you can, and you just can't. Don't take my word on it. I want to to point you to God's word because there is something that's much more powerful than rose. Even you being in in a religious place, hearing religious words, singing religious songs, there's something even more powerful. It's drift prevention when you get in those circles, not just rose. Here's what the Bible says. We were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body. Now, I know it's a great thing to have your sins forgiven. I know it's a great thing to have God's personal presence come move inside you. But, but Paul wants to take that further into the church at Corinth. He talks about all of that there in that letter to the church at Corinthians. But he says, I want you to understand, this is for all of us to enjoy. So glad that in the last couple of weeks we've seen people give their lives to Christ. I'm thrilled that they've received forgiveness of their sins. I'm thrilled that they've got the Holy Spirit. But what I'm thrilled is, is our body is more complete than ever. It's it's stronger than ever. We've got some more talents and abilities now than we ever have had before. And and together, we can do some things we could never do alone. Tabitha, when she was born, like it or not, became a sportsman. She joined a a circle of people. And some days she will tell you she did not like that. And some days we will tell you we didn't like it either. But we were family. Okay? We're a circle. And she's found out that the more that you give to the circle, the more you get back. And you're going to find out the more you give to the circle, you're going to get back. And so Paul puts it in the Word that we're going to read for centuries So Jesus comes. You were baptized. You came to Christ so that you could be a part of a body. This isn't just an individual thing. It's It's a circle thing. Now, this isn't new this drift thing, this drift phenomenon. It's not something we're just experiencing here in the the 21st century. No, this is something that has taken place ever since there were humans on the earth. But I'm going to talk about particularly with the church because there's this writer who doesn't have a name on this letter that he wrote, but he wrote enough significant things that when they included it in the New Testament, they said the book of Hebrews has to be in there. He wrote to a certain section of people who were Jewish Christians and they were... I'm going to be honest, getting a little bit tired of not seeing Jesus show up. They were a little bit weary with, with what life had thrown at them. And they were on the verge, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews at all, about walking back out and walking away from Christ. You think, how could anybody get to that place? It's because they forgot the importance of circles. Here's what Paul reminds them. I think it was Paul who probably wrote this. But whoever the writer is says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now that one's kind of bizarre to me. Can you think of anybody, really, who is a Christian, who knows Jesus Christ, who could look at something ungodly and look at something godly and, or look at something that was wrong, and look at something as right, and, and knowing Christ, choose the wrong, choose the ungodly, to the point that they would actually reach a place where their heart became unbelieving again. Well, let me just show you who that person is. I want you to do me a favor and get out your pointer, okay? And I want you to point it to a person's head, all right, in front of you. I'm going to point it to someone's head. All right. Come on now. They're not looking. Yes, that person in front of you can look at something. Now, leave your pointers up, okay? Can look at something that is wrong and and something that's good and understand it clearly, look at something that's godly and ungodly and then choose the ungodly and choose the wrong. That person in front of you. Now, we're going to complete the exercise, turn it towards you like this. And so could that person. Every single one of us, when we sin, and most of us know what we're doing when we do it. Every single one of us, if I had you raise your hand when you would have all ago, who's all sin in here? Who will sin? You would all raise your hands, all right? And you will know, most likely, before you do it, you're about to do it. And for just a moment, you quit believing that God's way is the best way. You quit believing that God's plan for your life is the best plan for your life. And what the writer here is trying to say to this group of Christians called the Hebrews is if you connect enough of those moments, you will have an unbelieving heart. Not just an unbelieving moment, but you're going to experience what it means to have an unbelieving heart. That's scary to me. And it was meant to be. It was meant to be. I, I, I want to share that with you because it's, it's absolutely possible because the truth is you've seen it. You've seen those unbelieving choices get connected enough that there's some people in your life that are not caring at all that there's a Christ. They're not caring at all that He has a plan for their life. They're not caring at all that He is their Lord and they're His disciple. They don't care anymore. They just don't. And none of them had a theological moment when they said, you know what, I just don't believe in God. They just didn't have an atheistic moment. No, they had a, a bunch of little atheistic moments when they said, nah, I don't trust you on this one. Nah, I don't think your plan's the best. Nah, and they got connected enough that it led to an unbelieving heart. Maybe that's happened to you. <laughs> just, things were going so good. They were going so good, and, and, and you don't know how it caught you, but it caught you. I mean, it was that um, night in the dorm, the business trip. Just, just some time alone with a computer. And it, it, was, just, it was just a moment when, when that's not exactly what you knew. that God wanted for you, but you wanted it, and so you went over here. And before you knew it, you, were, you weren't just here, you were over there. So far from God. And for some of you, it, didn't have, it wasn't just going, it was going terrible. I mean, one awful thing after another was piling on top of it, on top of it again, and on top of it again. And you said, you know what? There's no way there could be a loving God in control of this life. I think I'll take the reins back myself. And you did. Now, you didn't intend for that to be forever, but maybe just for the moment, okay? And then you went up so far in a place you never thought you'd be away from God. It's because drift happens. It just happens. The gravitational pull of life is generally in a wrong direction. Unless you're part of a circle. Unless you're part of a circle. Unless somebody is seeing about you. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have... Now, let me say it like I wrote it. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of y'all... Have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of y'all are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I went ahead and translated that, because in the Greek that's actually you plural. I just put it in the for us this morning, okay? Because that's really what the text says. I'm not just making that up. But you know what? The mm-hmm. And the y'alls this morning are really in memory of a friend of mine who's left. He's not died, not the earth. He left to go to Oklahoma, and that was Paul Mosley. Paul Mosley said, y'all, and "Mm mm-hmm, all the time. And I'm already missing him. Here's what Paul would have said about this whole context. Y'all need to see about each other. That's not the MSG version. That's not the NIV version. That's the Paul Mosley version. Y'all need to be seeing about each other you don't need to get any other's business. You need to look after Jimmy because, I mean, he's, he's, he's one or two decisions away from an unbelieving heart. You need to look after Art. He's one or two decisions from an unbelieving heart. You need to look after Jerry. You need to look after Paula. You need to look after Cynthia. You need to look after everybody. Everybody needs to look after each other. Everybody's got to look after each other. Oh, we're in a mess. The heart that turns away from God starts from within. The turn away is an inside out phenomena, and it's so subtle. And it happens before anybody in a row could ever notice. I don't know about you, but a drifting heart does not show in a row. I don't see them very well. I don't. I don't know how well most of you are doing. And there's no way that I could know how well most of you are doing. Not in this setting. That's why we're encouraging. That's why we're insisting. That's why we're pursuing getting you out into circles. Because as shepherds, we're going to have to give account of what went on in your life. And in a row, we don't know. In a row, we don't know. And we lost some people last year. because we didn't get them in circles and even the ones that were in circles we haven't really done circles well enough to where those circles were a safe place where when I was struggling with something on the inside I could share with someone on the outside so that this stupid thing that I was thinking didn't become a stupid reality in my life Now I'm gonna ask you I'm seeing about you this morning you got anybody who is a Christian in your life that if you started thinking something stupid, you could share that with and they so loved you unconditionally and so loved you passionately that they would say to you, what in the world are you thinking? So you would stop. But you know what? You could share it with them because there was this thing you were thinking that you just knew if you kept thinking it, you were going to act hard. Don't you want a church where that's possible? Don't you want a family of God where that's real? Or are you going to be satisfied with this rose stuff? I don't want to lose another family like we lost last year. I don't. And we're losing them. And we will continue to lose them as long as rows are enough for us. Somebody's got to see about you. And that's the only way we're going to survive and not have an unbelieving heart. But not just see about you, but encourage you. Today, as long as it's called today, that's where the writer's going to take us. Now, it's not the high-five encouragement. That's not what the Greek word means here. It's not the, hey, what's going It's all good. It's looking good. No, it's not that kind of encouragement. This is Appealing to, exhorting, urging strongly, begging, imploring, entreating that when you see something in somebody else's life that doesn't need to be there, you encourage them. Get out! (laughs) Don't do that stupid thing! No way! It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your kids. It will destroy your finances. No! And church, come on, let's be honest. We've settled on a Christianity where we don't have the permission to do that. So why in the world would someone from the world want to come in here and expect anything different? In most cases, they shouldn't. But, because we're not satisfied with that, because we know there's more, because we've tasted more, this is a group of elders that's saying, come on, come on, step into more with us. And what that involves is getting out of the rows and into circles because nobody knows in rows. We just don't know. The last part of this scripture that we're going to look at this morning is keyed by this word, so that. All of this matters. If you see a word like so that in Scripture, it's kind of a a prompting in the Greek language. It says, now buckle your seatbelt, because you're about to find out why all I've said, about what all this means, about what all I've said in the past. Paul says, all that we've talked about as far as circles, he says, this is important, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. I don't know where some of you came to faith in Christ. College dorm room. Overseas serving our country. um, In a church like this. In a Bible study. But you know what? If you don't hold on to that conviction till the end... It's not that God's going to disqualify you. You will have drifted that you let go of it yourself. And so I just want to warn you this morning, guys, please, see about each other. I want to encourage you this morning, as long as it's called today, come on. we got to see about each other. Because if we don't, we're going to lose one another. We're just going to lose each other. And we're going to lose our kids Sin is just that deceitful. It's amazing when Paul writes about sin, he often talks about it. The word, uh, the big uh, theological word is personifi- Is a, What does it say here? Per- it's a personifying word. He makes sin out to be kind of a person. Kind of like someone who's inside you, you know, saying things and thinking things for you. He uses words like this in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 56 that sin's kind of like a warrior. In Romans 5 and verse 20, he says sin's kind of like a king that reigns in you. And here in this text, he says, well, sin's kind of like someone who's out to deceive you. Like one of those phone callers that maybe you got this week that's trying to get into your information so that they can get out of you more than just a couple of numbers. They want some big numbers over here. Or our salesman who's trying to say, well, you know, you really don't need this. What you need is this. And really has no interest in your best interest but his checkbook interest." That's deception. Paul talks of sin as if it's like this person. And you go, well, yeah. Because it's like this person living in me. Nudging me, talking to me, sharing thoughts that I, that I sometimes run with while I'm driving or while I'm mowing the grass or while I'm I'm out I'm Facebooking. And if those thoughts are left unchecked, the ones that are ungodly, the ones that are wrong, and we know they are. If they're not shared with someone in a circle... Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm leaning towards. Help me with this. Our hearts become hard because we act on it and we get the consequences that come with it that lead to more consequences. Remember the phrase sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay? When we start living out the reality of that truth, it makes us so mad at God, it makes us so mad sometimes at the church. And so what we're trying to do for each other is to avoid getting there as much as possible. And that if we do get there, we've got a safe place. We've got a circle of unconditional love and unconditional grace where we can come together and say, God forgives you. God's grace on you. Now let's do better for you, okay? Let's together swim upstream in this downstream world. Let's walk uphill in this downhill world. Let's do that together financially in your marriage, raising your kids. Come on, let's do that together. Because we realize rows don't cut it, only circles do. Here is a um, summary, oh that was a good one, just walk right past that one, the best defense is not me and God, read the last line with me, we and God, now that's in case you're already starting to nod your head and saying okay isn't it time for us to leave and it is, I've got to cut this down in two minutes. The best defense is not me and God. The best defense is we and God. That's why the circle thing. I'm having to move quickly. Here's a summary that I want you to read from this text. We're going to see about one another on a regular basis so that no one is deceived by sin and drifts away from the faith that has made such a difference in our lives up until now. And that's what I hope happens for you. You know where it began? You know where it continued in the sportsman household? For not just Gail and I, but for our girls, to the point that now this 27 year old and this 25 year old married Christ followers and they're living out their discipleship on their own and writing me letters about how this mattered to their lives. It was because a mom and dad took a, took a shot. Didn't happen in our families. Didn't happen in our families. But we said, maybe, just maybe, this circle thing is valuable. And we started a community group in in Carlene's house that lasted for over 15 years. And we still are in circles now. Here's why. These are the words of my oldest daughter. I remember being bored during our time of prayer. That's what I remember. Looking at the different pairs of shoes that were in the circle, picking which pair was my favorite. I remember that boredom shifting into understanding, and understanding, shifting into participation. I remember eating homemade chili and sharing sandwiches around the dinner table, the prayer requests spilling over into follow-up questions and connections and laughter. So much of what I am now is due to that small group. As a girl, I had a first-hand ticket to how godly people went about their lives, I saw problems and solutions and prayer and heartbreak. I saw the messes of our lives in Christ and his perfect intervention. I think about, I love how they wrote about some of the same people. I think about Nita and how filled with the Holy Spirit she was. I think about watching the Chessers experience drought and rain and finally the decision to turn that ranch into a working dude ranch. None of us wanted them to. I think about singing the greatest commandment over and over until we got all the parts just right. I remember how holy that living room felt. Even as a 13-year-old girl. Now that I'm older and going to church with my husband, the church service feels so secondary. My first question is always, do you have any small groups? How can we get involved with that? Because you see, that's my kind of church. That's where confession happens. That's where the vulnerability takes place. That's where I feel the body of Christ. We were meant to do life in community, she writes. And if we can't live in a commune, (laughs) then small groups is a great second. Father in heaven, we love you. And we're trying You know how easy it is for us to just attend and to sit in these rows. But we're trying to get smaller. Community groups is just one of the ways that we we hope to point people to. Ladies' Bible class, men's Bible class, men's mission trips. So many ways to serve and to get smaller here. But Father, we're praying that you help us all get connected to a group of people where when we're thinking something that is just, just wrong, just off. It's going to lead to destruction in our family, destruction in our finances. We've got, a, we've got some safe people that we can say, you know, I'm thinking about something, I just need to get out, and I need you to pray for, and to hold me accountable to, because I don't want to do the stupid that destroys my finances, that destroys my family, that destroys me, destroys my relationship ultimately with God. Could you help us, God, be that church? please, Please, thank you so very much for your son who came and got in it with us and didn't just settle for a church with Rose but gathered himself a circle of guys and then an even smaller circle of three and an even smaller circle of one that he shared his life with. Would you please help us follow his example until you bring him back so that we could step into a life like nobody could ever dream in Jesus' name. I'm going to offer you a chance for you to be baptized this morning. I'm going to be right down front. I'm going to line this place with some shepherds and in the back. And their purpose is is to create a little circle, maybe just a circle of two. And for you to step into that and say, you know what? I got some stuff going on in my mind I need some prayer about. Some things that are just crushing me, some hurts, some difficulties. Not just sins, but some things I'm worried about. And Jesus said, don't worry. Would you help me not worry? And we'll be glad to pray over you so that you don't worry. And if you are struggling with some things that are just got you on the verge of doing something that is just asinine, so destructive, we want to pray for the strength for you not to. Not to. And to wait on the Lord and His plan and His goodness and, and talk about that maybe with that elder, about what the next steps are so that you don't destroy your life with this decision. That's what this family's trying to be about. And so we want to invite you to become be a part of it while we stand and while we sing.